Welcome to Clean Break, the weekly divorce podcast. We share the stories and experiences of divorce professionals. Find all the answers about the many complex questions about divorce and separation at divorcenet.ca. Welcome, everyone. I'm Darren Javog, uh, chair of DivorceNet and uh, host of the Clean Break podcast. I'm here today with Tina Murray, my co-host and vice chair of DivorceNet. Good morning, Tina. Good morning, Darren. This morning, we have remote, uh, remotely, we have uh, Chad Robinson. He is a mortgage broker and he has been uh, brokering for about 25 years. Uh, his company is Best Interest Mortgages. And so uh, Chad is going to speak to us this morning about mortgages and, and the divorcing, separating clients. So good morning, Chad. Good morning. Um, just give us a little bit of uh, more detailed information about you and, uh, and so who, you, who are you? Perfect. Well, first of all, uh, thank you very much for having me on the podcast. I'm really excited to be here and, um, and on this beautiful Saturday. It's, uh, it's great. So I'm a mortgage broker, as you mentioned. I've been doing this 25 years. Um, I grew up in the real estate business. My parents um, had a real estate brokerage since the 50s. So we sort of live, eat, and breathe real estate every day. Uh, every aspect of my life involves real estate and finance and mortgages in one way or the other. And, and I realized that I really prefer the mortgage side, the, the math side of the business. So years ago, instead of selling real estate like the rest of my family does, I moved into the finance side. And, and I love it. I've never really looked back. So, Chad, I'm kind of curious. Uh, so you started when you were like, what, five years old? Because uh, <laughs> I, <was, laughs> I was just checking out your photograph on your website and you look like a really young guy. <laughs> yeah, you know, I got good genes. Thank you to my parents. Um, <laughs> I started selling real estate when I was 18. Put wow. myself through university doing that. Wow. And when I, when I graduated, I realized, oh my God, I'm making more part-time than these people are offering me for full-time work. And uh, I never really looked back. You know, I've always been an entrepreneur, so it's... Uh, it's what I love doing, and and then naturally over the years I've evolved into because I love doing the unusual and the complicated cases. I've evolved into a lot of uh, separation and, and divorce work. Well, and you also mentioned uh, when we were off camera uh, that you work with collaborative practice in Ottawa. So how long have you been doing that? Uh, that's going oh geez, four or five years now. I got certified. One of the first people to get certified as a financial professional, um, and it goes a lot to my ethos of believing. That separation, uh, you know, and going through separation twice myself um, can be done in a nice, I mean, as nice as it can be, um, way. You don't have to be. It doesn't have to be conflict orientated, mm-hmm. and uh, and that kind of runs through my whole business model. Great. Well, that's good. So I guess we're going to jump right into it, Chad. Our uh, our our model is uh, basically we try to get you in and off the show in twenty minutes, get the uh, listeners as much value as we can in a in a, in a reasonable awesome. amount of time. So let's get right to it. Yeah. So okay. So so talk to us a little bit about um, sort of the separating and divorcing uh, clients and, and how you approach that from a mortgage perspective. Oh sure. Um, so first and foremost, I always say all anybody going through this, most people want to talk to their lawyers first. I said, then your very next phone call should be to your mortgage broker. A lot of people don't realize what's even available. You know, can they, can they buy a house? Can they not buy a house? If the couples are amicable, um, I've actually had people coming together or I'll deal with both, uh, you know, one, one party and the other separately, of course, um, to try to do some planning. And they don't realize the impacts of some of these, you know, massive spousal support payments that they're going to get or, or not get. And, uh, and think that everything is going to be hunky-dory and they're going to go buy the exact same house that they're currently living in. Sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. But uh, we should really be the, the very second phone call. Mm-hmm. 
Okay. So tell us a little bit about how does it work? Like if, if a client comes to you and um, and they, they need a mortgage, but they don't have a separation agreement, what, what do you say to them? Like, how do you, how do you deal with that? What do we start with? Um, so usually what ends up happening, most of the customers have some kind of idea of what the agreement will look like. Mm -hmm. uh, they have a guess at least, you know, I'm going to be paying support. I'm going to be receiving support. It might be, you know, a thousand dollars or $1,500. You know, we're in the, usually the ballpark. Um, and at that point we can start putting those, those debt and income numbers in and I can give them a, a rough value you know, say, okay, well, it looks like you'd be approved for 300,000 or 400,000 or, or whatever that number is. Um, and recently we just had a lot of times these big massive payments coming in. I don't know what's been happening lately, but some of these really large supposed support payments, but not a lot of buyout. So there's been less lump sum payments and mm -hmm. more monthly payments. Monthly payments it's been a trend yeah. in the last six months. I don't know. It's kind of strange, but, uh, mm -hmm. but playing with those kind of numbers are important. Right. Yeah, that's uh, interesting because when I whenever I get into that conversation with lawyers about lump sum versus cash flow or, or a lifetime payment or indefinite amount of payment is what they like to call it, um, what I find is is uh, it depends on the lawyer and it depends on the and on the mindset of the client because um, both have benefits, right? Mm -hmm. Like if it's a lump sum you don't have to make any more payments, you're done, right? Yeah. Uh, and, and if it is a, a monthly installment or you know a, uh, annual, whatever, um, then it can go on and on. And I think one of the things that people don't realize is if something ha if you do a lump sum and somebody passes away, you've lost that money as, a, as, as the payor, mm. right? But as the, as the uh, payor, if you're paying that monthly and that, per and that person passes away, you're done. You don't have to keep paying anymore, yeah. right? Oh. So, so there's yeah, yeah. So there's two different strategies, right? So I don't know, like it's something right. that you have to discuss with the client. But anyways, yeah, so, <laughs> had to throw that in there. Squirrel, uh, squirrel. Yeah, uh, I'm dealing with a case right like right now with that, and it's 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 pretty big because I mean the uh, the lump sum payout is uh, about six hundred thousand dollars for the client, wow. uh, and if, but if he makes the annual or the, or the monthly payment, it ends up being over nine hundred thousand lifetime over twenty five years. Uh -huh. So okay. he, he's, yeah, anyways, so we'll, yeah, yeah. <laughs> next question, sorry. All right, all right. What about, uh, <laughs> so are separation agreements vital, do you think, in your, in your business? hundred percent, hundred percent. That's one of the biggest challenges people think. They, they phone me up and say, okay, I'm getting separated from my spouse and I want to buy a house and I put an offer and I'm like, whoa, you know, back up the horse there. Yeah. You know, a lot of times they haven't even gone to see a lawyer yet and they're already putting an offer in a house. Yeah. Um, and as you guys all know, sometimes these separation agreements can take you know months or even years in some cases. Yeah. So the agreement per se is not what's required for us. What we need to know is are they paying or receiving support? Right. So if that part of the agreement is settled, that's what we need. Mm. You know, we don't care who has custody of the kids. I mean, obviously it's all interconnected. Yes. Um, but those are, that's the key component for us. And um, especially when they're paying, like it's a liability side. So we've had cases where We've had stat decks saying neither party is paying or receiving support. Mm -hmm. I do have lenders that will accept that, but for the most part, the spousal agreement is or the separation agreement is is key. Right. I'm just gonna I'm just gonna go back to that stat deck. It's a statutory declaration, and it's something signed at the lawyers stating that you either pay are paying or are not paying, even if the separation agreement isn't completed. Exactly. Right. Yeah, just, that, that was going to be my question, actually. Yeah. Is that a separate document that you kind of like validate? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and I don't know about you, but I've seen it where um, 
I've actually had, most of the time it's the client signing it, but I've actually had uh, an instance where I got a mortgage done last year and um, the client, the lawyer signed the declaration. Hmm. And and, yeah, because there was no separation agreement uh, finalized, but uh, the lawyer, the the lender actually said, yeah, no problem, we'll take it. It has to be a lawyer signed declaration. And the lawyer was like, okay, because she knew what was happening and knew that this was going to be true. Um, and we were not using, in this case, we were not using child support. And so this, the declaration that the lawyer was signing stated that the, the my client was not paying. Hmm. And so, um, yeah, which was an unusual. It was a bit of a hail mary, a hail mary for me. <laughs> but okay, it happens sometimes. You know, again, we, the more unique stuff we do in the mortgage business, the less options we have for lenders, and then conversely, the higher the rate, right? So, I always like to start with the most basic, which is the spousal support and all the income or the separation agreement, sorry, and all the income docs. Um, that way, we can shop the market as best we can. Mm-hmm. So, how many? Uh, speaking of which, how many lenders do you deal with? Um, we have the potential probably to deal with about 35, 40 right now. In reality, most mortgage brokers, you know, have their top eight or nine mm-hmm. that they deal with on a regular basis or on a daily basis, but we can go outside of that if we need to. And the advantages of that, and I, I, again, we're not sliding banks by any stretch of the imagination, but the advantages of being able to access multiple lenders is that lenders have different rules and policies. 100%. I'll, I'll give you a really simple one. Um, you know, there's a lot of families, especially with young kids that are receiving the child tax benefit um, payments, or CC, uh, they keep changing the name, CCTV, um, yeah. right now. And a lot of lenders won't accept that as income. Right. So if you walked into some of the big banks, they'll say, no, we can't use that income. Some of it's quite substantial, especially if you have the single parent supplement on it. Right. Where other lenders will include that income. And that can be the difference of two, three, four hundred thousand dollars of a house value. Like, it can mm. make the difference of getting a home or not. Yes. Right. Wow! Absolutely, I, I never knew that. Yeah, excellent, excellent. And then, and then, talk a little bit on the flip side about uh, spousal support. If you're paying spousal support, um, some lenders will allow you to remove that from the um, from the income rather than adding it as a liability. Yeah, absolutely, and and that's a profound. A lot of people think, well, what difference does it make? And mm. and really, it makes a difference in the sense of let's say your income's a hundred thousand dollars, or I'm just guessing your spousal's twenty. So now you make eighty thousand. Mm-hmm. versus having you know a $2,000 a month payment. Mm-hmm. The way the math works out it is substantially different. Yeah, because right. that's a debt service ratio, right? Correct. Right, exactly. Yeah, so, yeah. So who pays the mortgage during a divorce? Like, is that something that you ever see or have people question that? So that's a great question. Um, and it's sort of a, one of those mutually assured destruction things. Um, <laughs> you got to, if your name is on any debt, not just the mortgage, it, I say to all of my customers, make sure that those are being paid monthly, whether it's the mortgage, the car payment, the credit cards, the cell phone bills, you name it. You know, I would guess typically the person that's been having the higher income is probably going to keep it going. Um, but make sure if your name's on it, make sure that you're responsible for it. And I've seen spouses get angry at each other and say, well, I'm just not going to pay your cell phone bill. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden their credit is being damaged mm-hmm. because the bill didn't get paid. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. So. You know, I always say put put the ego aside, suck it up, pay the bills, make sure your credit is protected, even if it's a minimum payment, mm-hmm. uh, and watch those accounts. Don't if your husband's always paid it or wife always paid it, just double check every month and make sure it's being paid. Because mm-hmm. that, because that, let's talk a little bit about that. Because what you're saying is that if your credit sucks, <laughs> to put it bluntly, you're not going to get a mortgage. Hundred percent. Yeah. And, and I've seen people's credit destroyed over like a 
you know, an HSBC, you know, the Bay credit card or, you know, back in the day, a Zeller's credit card or something like that. They go, oh, you know, nobody ever shops there or I don't care about that. That's his or hers or that's her car. And they just don't pay it for a month. All of a sudden, you're taking years to recover mm -hmm. from sometimes what is like 50 bucks. Right. And cell phones. Let's talk about cell phones. <laughs> Yeah, so cell phones have been reporting to the credit bureau for several years now, um, and they can have a very positive effect on people's credit if they don't have a lot, typically young people, you know, their cell phone might be the first thing they get, um, but it can also destroy somebody's credit because they, they weigh heavily on, on the credit bureau scoring, which surprises me, but they do. Mm -hmm. So if you think that, oh yeah, I know that my ex is paying for the cell phone bill and they stop paying, but it's still in your name, mm -hmm. that counts as if you bounce a credit card or a car loan, it counts just as strongly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, 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 and my biggest advice for people who uh, who have cell phones and may not be very good at paying it uh, is put it on your credit card as a monthly payment. Because most people remember to pay at least the minimum payment on their credit card. 100%. And so I try to say to people, you know, just, I do that. Like all, all our cell phone bills in our family are put right on a credit card and I pay my credit card monthly, you know. and But to have to remember yet another cell phone, another bill is sometimes you know, it's like, oh, well, it's a day late. It's a week late. No big deal. I'll pay it tomorrow. No, um, no. It, it, huge detriment, <coughs> huge detrimentally to your credit. Yeah. The, the, uh, actually, the cell phone providers were effective in lobbying the government to, do, to make that change uh, years ago, like he was saying, um, because there was an association with the, the phone and the cost and the value of the phone. Because most of the phones nowadays are $800,000. Yeah. Yeah. So they just lobbied the government and said, look, it's, it, it should be classified like like a Visa card because yeah. there's there's an asset here, right? Mm -hmm. So anyway, so to our detriment as clients, right? Yeah, because yeah, most people don't know that, right? So no. I, mean, I can recommend going one step further is put that credit card statement on minimum monthly payment right out of your bank mm. account. Perfect. Good. Great. Yeah. That's a great suggestion. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I have a, I have a young client. He's, you know, strategically planning to you know, buy in the next three or four years. And he just keeps, I'm really impressed with him. He just keeps checking in with me. And, um, you know, I've set him up on that. I've said, you know, put your cell phone bill on your credit card. And then I want you to go to your bank and I want you to set it up as a minimum monthly payment. Now he, I, we pulled his bureau and his credit was good. He was a little concerned, but great credit. But now I've said, okay, now to keep it clean, you know, and he did, he set up his credit card as a minimum monthly payment. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and, and then at least I know he'll never be late on it. So, yeah. Now, one I was t I wanted to tell a story about. I had a client whose bank, her and her husband were separating. It was um, there was some le uh, legal. He there was a restraining order against him, and um, they had they were selling their house, and she didn't make a lot of money, and he wasn't paying anything, and her bank actually advised her to not to not make her mortgage payments. Wow. Wow. And yes, her bank did. I know uh, our uh, admin assistant here is like jaw dropped right now. <laughs> so, but, um, and so um, when she went to, because they're like, oh, it's okay. It'll get paid because the house is sold. It'll get paid in three months. Don't worry about it. And so when she went to get a mortgage, her bank said, oh, we can't help you. You have late mortgage payments. <laughs> I hope she got that in writing. Uh, you know what? They they very much lobbied the bank. Refer the the bank actually referred her to me, mm. and um, um, and I was able to get it done. And we had uh, letters from the bank, basically saying yes, we did advise her that. Mm. So, yeah. but you know what? It's just always pay your bills. That's that to me is like the biggest 100%. the biggest thing, right? Is is that because that will have effect 
on on being able to buy a house and for years and years and years. Yeah. So let me ask you a question. Uh, does any is there is there any circumstances where sometimes uh, the divorcing spouse will stay on the mortgage? You know, like you've got two people, one maybe doesn't make enough money to afford, let's say, staying in the family home, but really wants to stay there because obviously it's all, a lot of it has to deal with emotions. Mm-hmm. So, so will, like, do you see that as a common thing where one spouse will stay on that mortgage and um, just to help the other one out or, or is that a leveraging thing or I don't know? Well, it happens, you know, in my, in, with my client base, it happens, I'd say, often enough um, because I tend to work with a lot of uh, low conflict clients mm. and they realize that you know hey I still love my kids I want to be you know part of their lives and uh, and I still want them to be in a family home so they're still supporting and, and doing that it obviously has an effect where now that person is going to be more difficult to go out and get another mortgage mm-hmm. because they're, they're still obligated for that payment and they don't have that income of the other spouse mm-hmm. so in, in cases where there's a high income spouse uh, it's okay if you're moderate income you know two normal people they each make 50 grand or 80 grand it's going to be very detrimental, uh, but I do see it quite often. And, and again, if people are amicable, then hey, why not? Three, four years, wait for the values to come up. And and sometimes, actually, I just had one case where the client was with one of the big major banks. It's another good reason to you know to go through a mortgage broker. Is the penalty to get out of this mortgage? She'd been in for two and a half years. Was twenty seven thousand dollars to break this mortgage? Seriously? Oh my God. Yeah, and That's it was huge. a regular mortgage, like not a big mortgage. It was like three hundred grand. So, what? What? Can I ask why that was? Like, what? How long ago was that? Uh, like last week. Oh, just last week. Okay, sorry, I missed that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So it was, you know, it was one of the big five. And, yeah. That's uh, why. <laughs> and so this goes, you know, this came through a lawyer, and I looked at it, and I said, guys, you know what? It makes sense that you don't sell your house right now, and there wasn't a lot of equity in the home. I'm like, that spouse, you should stay in the mortgage. You know, go the other spouse granted. It decided to rent for a couple of years until this mortgage comes up and for renewal, and then they're going to sell. Yeah. Hmm. Now, there, let, let me ask you something. There is there is a clause as well where, you know, the 5% down, uh, like yeah. like mostly when people buy a house, if they can't afford the, the full down payment, they can go and... Like a uh, cash back? Uh, no, a higher, if it's a higher ratio mortgage, you know, they can, under 20%, right. they, they can go as, as low as five, right? Yes. There's yeah. there's an option for divorcing clients to use that, that, uh, that option again, right? When they're divorcing, is that correct? Mm-hmm. Yeah, anybody um, now can reuse the 95% to buy out a partner. Mm-hmm. And the definition of that just changed recently, um, where up until about a year ago, it had to be a married couple. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, now it's you know the broad, it's broadened to be a partner, mm-hmm. uh, whether it's same sex or otherwise. And uh, it could be two friends living in a house and then you jointly buy a house and then agree to separate. So they really broadened that definition. Mm-hmm. Wow, I didn't know that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mom, mom and dad, or mom and daughter, parent and child. Wow. Yeah. Okay, I never did that. Okay, yeah. excellent. And and, and give us a few little. I know we're running out of time here, but there's so much information. I wish we could go for another hour. Um, for sure. You know, tell us a little bit about that um, when when we're talking. And we we tend to call it a spousal buyout. It's not really called a spousal buyout anymore. But um, when we're doing that, what debt can be paid out? Or is it, is it only the mortgage? Or can other debt be paid out with that? Great question. I'm glad you brought that up. And so for any clients listening and lawyers. This is really key. You can pay out anything that is joint debt or listed as joint debt in the separation agreement. Mm -hmm. So if you have a credit card that's one in your name and one in your spouse's name, Mm -hmm. and even though it's a family debt, typically, and the divorce lawyers, you're counting that as as a family liability, 
Um, but if it's not specifically listed, you can't pay it out. Mm -hmm. But if you do list it, you can include it up to 95%. And it's like you're buying the house again. So I've actually had customers walk out, become debt-free mm -hmm. by doing a spells of buyout. If the lawyers get the mortgage professionals involved up front, mm -hmm. structure the agreement in the right way, yeah. it's, uh, it can be really good. Yeah, and 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 I don't know whether whether you've come across this. Probably you have. Um, sometimes you know separation is in place when it comes to you, um, mm -hmm. but these things aren't listed in it, and you can just have an amendment done. Yeah, and and those those are are acceptable by lenders. Okay. So 100%. an amendment saying uh, this debt to be paid off. So anyway, from the refinance or the sale, whichever you want to call it. Yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. And you know, it's it's really good, and I think that's sort of one of the really key things about using a mortgage professional like yourself is that we, you know, that you mm -hmm. you have all these ins and outs, and a lot of um, a lot of, and again, I, I get not slashing or bashing the big banks, but a lot of um, them don't have the tools to be able to do it or the knowledge to be able to do it. So. Mm -hmm. Hundred percent. And if you're not working in this field and specifically in divorce work a lot, mm -hmm. you know it's one thing you know you do once every three four months. Yeah. Uh, not on a regular basis. You're not up to date on all these little nuances. Right. And some of them have profound effects on, yeah. on the customers. That's Absolutely. a fan. That those are awesome statements right yeah. there because I find even though people have a profession, they don't necessarily have that niche market specialty. experience, yeah. especially. Mm -hmm. And I think that's one of the reasons why I love DivorceNet mm -hmm. and, and how we try to curate as much divorce knowledge as possible. Yeah, so. yeah, because it's a trying time, right? Sometimes you feel like you're more of a counselor than a mortgage professional. Oh, yeah. And we have a degree, you know, we should all have degrees in social work and therapy. Yeah, yeah. that's true. Yeah. I keep, I keep uh, uh, large boxes of Kleenex on my yeah. desk. Yeah, <laughs> I do too. I do. All Usually right. underneath my desk and I pull it out. Here you go. Oh, thank you. <laughs> so we're going to have to wrap things up here, Chad. Uh, fantastic having you on the show. Yeah. I wish it was longer, but we like to keep things short and sweet. We'll get you back on for a second episode. Uh, tell everyone how they can get a hold of you. Yeah. Yeah. So give us a call at the office, which is 613-590-7100 uh, or through our website, bestinterest.ca. Fantastic. Or they can also find you uh, on oh. the DivorceNet website. Which Absolutely. will be that your profile will be on there, and uh, look forward to seeing some snippet videos and some blog posts from you uh, for people to read and keep up on mortgage uh, mortgages and divorce. Yeah, All thank right. you very much, guys. Have a great weekend. Thanks, thank you Chad. so much, and everyone, uh, stay tuned. Check out our website. Check out our podcasts. Uh, the previous ones were amazing, and we'll see you on the other side. You've been listening to Clean Break, our weekly podcast on divorce. You can find this and other great advice from divorce professionals at divorcenet.ca, where we upload audio, video, and blog content every week. Divorcenet.ca, expert advice made simple.